Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 39. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey everyone, this is Zach Doyle with the Rack Packer Outdoors, and you're listening to my favorite podcast of all time, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to episode number 39 of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I do want to just uh, tell you who who we've got on the show today. We're actually speaking to Monty Hersmeyer, who sent in a big buck to the Big Buck Registry, and uh, he's going to tell us all about hunting Nebraska. So if you've never hunted Nebraska, this is probably a good episode to listen to. And then uh, we're going to speak with Tori Middleton McRae from Country Girls Outdoors out of Texas. And we're going to hear what it's like to kind of be a late bloomer and, and start hunting at uh, age 29 and then form a, uh, a band of uh, hunters, country girls, see what it's like. So I uh, hope you enjoy the show and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Monty, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, we're psyched to have you on board. This is, uh, we, you submit a nice Nebraska big white tail. Looks like you uh, did a little harvest with your bow. And uh, we want to get the story behind that buck and see if we can get a few other tips and tricks out of you along the way, if that's cool. Hey, that sounds good. Awesome. Um, Monty, tell us uh, where you're from. Um, I'm originally from a small town, central Nebraska, uh, it's Scotia, a town of about 350 people. No kidding. Three, 350. Yep. Wow. All right. So that's a small town. A, yeah. Pretty much a gas station and a grocery store is about, is about all it consists of. Well, you know what that means to me? That means that the hunting's good. Yes. Very much so. Yep. When I hear those types of stats, I'm like, well, there's only one good thing. I mean, there's a lot of whitetail. So that's, yes. that's good. No, and I love, I like the, uh, the small town, um, country, lifestyle anyway you know that's where we're big fans of that anyway so that's good to hear so you grew up in that that area yep and what was I life grew up there and graduated there beautiful and what was life like growing up in a small town in nebraska um, well everybody knew each other um and like you say not a lot of people hunted in the area um there was a lot of a lot of small farms um, and so a lot of neighbors would as long as you asked they'd, they'd let you go hunting on their on their property so it's kind of the really small town lifestyle. I guess you could That's say. cool. So do you keep like a? Did you have to keep a book of uh, permission slips, or is it verbal? Uh, no, it was. Uh, there was one landowner that uh, we usually got written permission from. Um, there was other family that that hunted the area, and so they just wanted to make sure that if if we ever crossed paths, that uh, they knew that we had permission to be there. But otherwise, most of the landowners would say, you know what, as long as you close the gates after you're in and out, um, you can hunt as often as much as you like. So cool. They were very understanding. So how many acres are we talking here? Um. Uh, thousands of acres, actually. A lot of a lot of rolling pasture hills where we hunt. Oh wow! So it's it's almost like if you you go get the per- permission, you respect the land, you continue to hunt there. Yep, yep. As long as, like you say, as long as you closed gates and and made sure you didn't leave trash out in the field or left gut piles in plain sight and cleaned up anything that you had out there, um, you were you were welcome there virtually all the time. Awesome. Uh, That's cool. How did you get into hunting? Who was the, uh, did you, can you attribute your desires uh, to go hunting to any one particular person or was it more of a family thing? How do you uh, Um, sum that up? uh, It was a family thing. My dad really got me into hunting. He, he started taking me with him when I was uh, between three and five years old and actually got me my first 22 when I was five and um, called in a coyote with him and shot my first coyote with a 22. And my mom always hunted, and, and my uncles hunted, so it was in my blood, I guess you could say, to begin with. Nice. And when did you first harvest your first deer? I would have been oh, 12 years old when I harvested my first deer. 
shot a shot a white tail doe um, with a 243 that had to saw the buttstock off so it fit me and shot her 40 yards. Awesome. Very cool. So then you're, you developed some skills along the way it, by the looks of it. I mean, and the big buck that you shot isn't by chance and it looks like you're doing it with a bow. So you, you've clearly yep. honed your skills. Um, yeah. You, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things you've learned along the way. Um, so yeah, some of the things I've learned, um, you gotta, you gotta re- learn to read the animals. Um, uh, what would you say? Instincts. Um, know kind of how they react to sounds and different smells and lures. And um, I've done, oh, I did a lot of reading in magazines and asked a lot of questions to to my dad and, and my uncle in particular. He he really, my uncle kind of got me into the archery side of hunting. Uh, my dad mainly did rifle and muzzleloader. Um, and I, like you say, I, I learned a lot from my uncle as far as learning to play the wind and tree stand locations. Um, and how deer move from food sources to back to bedding and different, different, uh, trails and, and a lot, a lot contributed to that. Gotcha. I'd like to, uh, get into a little bit about how you prepare for a hunt these days. One of our quests here on the Big Buck Registry, and Dusty and I talk about this a lot, is what we're trying to do is basically catalog the stories that hunters have to share. And along the way, we're going to learn some things that are common amongst those that are being more successful. So we'd like to get that story from you. And I'm going to let Dusty take it from here to kind of break down the hunt and find out what you did to prepare for that hunt and maybe things that you do to prepare now on each and every hunt and then get into some of the, the details of that hunt exactly from the, the minute the alarm clock went off to the, the processing of the meat. Okay. Awesome. Let's get started. Hey, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the the landscape that that you're hunting there, uh, and tell us kind of your area that you you mainly hunt. What's uh, you guys hunting hardwoods, pastures, cornfields, soybeans? Tell us what you got there to, for hunting grounds. Right now, um, since I moved away from home and kind of started um, taking the reins and hunting on some of my own property that I've acquired, I've I've moved uh, about an hour and a half away, hour to hour and a half away from where I used to hunt. And right now, most of the property that I hunt um, is a lot of crop, a lot of cropland ground, a lot of uh, edges of cornfields, soybean fields, and alfalfa fields. Um, kind of some main food sources for the deer, and and then off of that, um, some kind of heavy pastures that don't get grazed, um, which serves as a really nice bedding area for the deer. And so most of my tree stand locations are in areas, the corners of uh, pivots that are not farmed. They left the trees and kind of some CRP um, type grass in those corners so that deer have a safe haven if they get scared out of the field. They've got a place to go and kind of check things out before they move any further. And there's uh, a lot of hardwood trees, a lot of oak trees, or not too many oak trees, but some walnut trees um, and some cottonwood trees that most of my tree stands are set in now. It sounds like a deer mecca. (laughs) It's it's a very the like you say the property I hunt now is I kind of fell into it. Um, I'm an agronomist by trade, um, and then a hunter all winter. Once crops come out, I pretty much solely go hunting uh, whenever the weather suits. And so the, that ground is is very very. Um, there's a lot of a lot of animals, a lot of deer, a lot of turkeys, and and so it's it's a great wildlife habitat. Monty, can you say what you are by trade again? I'm an agronomist. All right, what is that? Um, I check cornfields, soybean fields, and alfalfa fields um, all summer long um, for bugs and diseases, and I pretty much help help the farmers grow the best crops that they can. Oh, cool! And every step of the way, from buying their seed all the way up until they run the combine through the field. That's pretty neat. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, we deal with quite a few agronomists around here. It's, it's probably the best for a hunter. It's probably about the best job choice you can get because once deer season rolls around for archery, you're pretty much done scouting fields and you can start focusing back on hunting again. Yeah, right. You, you scout all year long. Yep. Yep. Sounds like you definitely have an edge being a was ergonomist. Agronomist. 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 Yep. Yeah, it sounds like you have a good edge um, just to have a knowledge base of where all the best food is and 
what yep. whether deer are moving in and out just from being not, in the field. That's awesome. Not only yep. does he know the best food spots, but he knows where the best crops are grown. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh right. man, Very what a great job to to be a deer hunter. Yeah, I it's it's been like say hunting's the love of my life, and the agronomy business really helps me pursue that even more. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, tell us what day you shot your big buck. Uh, this year I shot I shot my deer on November first. November first seems like that's pretty yep. pretty hot day throughout the United States for sure. Yep. Tell us yep, a little bit about. Day I want to be in the sand. Right. What was the weather conditions on November the first? It was a cooler morning. Um, I would say it was probably mid thirties, um, which is kind of not seasonal for that time of year. Usually we should be in the single digits, uh, probably teens in the morning. Um, and so the deer movement hadn't been that great, um, for the past probably weekend days leading up to the day that I shot my deer. Do you have out trail cameras? I have a lot of trail cameras. Yes. I, um, I've got, oh man. I probably got 10 to 12 trail cameras up um, going to and coming from food sources and bedding areas to try and try and get a time when the most deer activity is happening. Right. Can you tell us tell us what kind of trail cameras you got out? I use Moultrie trail cameras. Um, for the money, I think they're they're a very good value. Um, I use the D55 IR, which is infrared cameras. Um, that way they don't have that bright flash at night when they get their picture taken. It just kind of gives off a red glow. Right. Um, and the pictures are, are very, very, very good with those. So how, how many, how many trail cam pictures are we talking a week, weekly basis? Um, early in the season between June and July, um, it's about a thousand pictures a week per camera. Um, I That's... use a lot of BB squared from Big and J. Right. And that, that attracts about any source of wildlife that's in the area. Did you say that was BBJ? BB squared from Big and J. BB squared. Tell us a little bit about BB squared. Um, it's a supplemental mineral um, that's put together from some guys out of Grand Island, Nebraska. Um, it's getting to be pretty widely known uh, the more that they get out in the field. And it's it's got a lot of small trace minerals in it. And the main attractant in it, I believe, is gluten, which is a corn byproduct. It gives off a really strong aroma that the deer like. And that gets them to come into it and really, really chow down. Where, where do you purchase this at? Um, I purchase it locally um, from... It's called Muddy Creek Nutrition. It's a small feed store. Um, they can get it to me in the bulk, which is a 2,000-pound feed so you, pack. For lack right, of you're, so you're buying it in one big, like a, a cloth pro box, pretty much. Yes, exactly. Yep, exactly. Awesome. I know a little bit about the farming terms, I reckon. Very good. Uh, that's interesting uh, that you can buy it in bulk like that. Do you bucket it out? How do you distribute it? Then uh, I use five-gallon buckets, and, and I just bucket it out and take it with me. When I go to scout the fields um, where I can do most of my hunting, I just take it with me every time I go to scout the field and, and dump it out again in front of the camera. So 2,000 pounds. Can you tell us how long that lasts? Um, the bag that I have now I purchased in, I believe it was August. By the time they couldn't, they could just get me 50 or 40 pound sacks for a while. And finally they got the opportunity to get me a bulk bag and I got that. And I probably have 200 pounds left. As wow. Well. That, that's, uh, that's quite a bit for one season. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's an awful lot. But I will say, um, looking at pictures from year to year to year, most of my cameras are set up in the exact same spots every year. And I get a lot of pictures of the same deer. And it, it is a considerable improvement from when I started hunting there, uh, four years ago up to now. It, it is, in, it's incredible. And it turned, made your rack, uh, your herds racks a lot better, I'm guessing. Yep, yep. They're a lot heavier. Um, they're growing kicker points. Most of the kickers are coming off their back G2, um, which is kind of interesting. They're, and that's about the only place they've ever come off of. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's incredible how it works. Why do you think that is, Monty? Um, most of that I am thinking is due to up where I'm hunting. Um, there's, there is a lot of corn, um, and there's a little bit of alfalfa. I don't think they're getting the nutrition out of the grass and corn that 
they're needing to grow that extra mass and those extra points all the time. Okay. We've we've had some really dry years, and I think that's that's hurt the population some and the health of the herd overall. And putting this out is, I, I think, bringing bringing the health um, and size of the racks and just overall, like I said, the overall health of the deer. Gotcha. And not, not only the health, it, you know, the nutrition and minerals, it, it kind of gives them that extra boost to make it through the cold weather months. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Let's let's do a head-to-toe rundown of your equipment. When you get ready to head out to the woods, give us a rundown of what kind of camouflage, just what kind of garments are you wearing? Um, I use, uh, I like the Realtree AP, excuse me, camo pattern. Um, it's real quick, to do this area better. real quick, are you a believer in, in having matching, uh, riggings to head to the woods for pitcher time afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems, seems to be a new trend. Everybody wants to yep. look good, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to be the new, uh, you know, hunting set in a fashion statement. Most of the time, I, I don't mind having a little extra blood in the picture. I'm not one that I, a lot of people on TV say, oh, you got to make sure you have all the blood washed off and it's got to look, there can't be any traces of blood. I'm like, well, that's how I found him when I got to him. So I am going to take some pictures of him like that. <laughs> Keeping it real. Yep, exactly. So you're a real tree, real tree camo wear. Do you have yep. particular scent sprays or cover sprays or washes that you prefer? Um, I, I have the scent blocker gear and I also use, um, scent, scent killer, the 99% spray. Um, when I get to the field, I will spray down, uh, before I even think about walking to my stand. Uh, boots, head to toe, everything that's exposed gets sprayed down all the way down to my bow, my arrows, my bags, everything gets sprayed down before I head in. Awesome. So you got your real tree on, you're sprayed down. Let's talk about from the time you left to the left the house to the time you harvested your buck. Give us a rundown of the day you harvested him. All right. Well, it was one of the like, kind of a it was a different kind of morning. Uh, my brother was actually up to hunt with me that weekend. He doesn't get to hunt very much due to he has more of an office job and can't get away too much. And so I initially had set out to take him to one of my better stands to try and get help him harvest the deer. And I decided, hey, I'm taking had all my clothes washed up and scent killer and I said, Well, I'm gonna take my stuff with me and if if the day if the morning starts looking like it's gonna be a good morning to sit in the stand, I'll just sit in one of my other ones and take my video camera and and just see what I can see for the morning. Um, didn't anticipate a whole lot of deer movement at the stand I was thinking about sitting in. And so we get all loaded up, make sure we have all our scent scent killer totes and stuff um, with us, and we what both time? shoot Hoyt bows. Right. What time did you guys head out that morning? Oh, I believe we left at 4.30, so we were going to be in the stands an hour before um, daylight, which was going to be 6, uh, I think 6.50 that morning. I'm trying to think. Gotcha. Yes. It was, no, I take that back. It was going to be 7.30 that morning um, when it was going to be daylight because I, I released my arrow right before 8 o'clock. So, so yeah, it was going to be going to be about, oh, an hour, just over an hour drive up to where we were going to stop and get out and head to the tree stands and made sure four-wheelers were all fueled up and pickup was fueled up and got some breakfast and headed on headed on our way up there. And that morning, it was probably about a 15-mile-an-hour wind out of the southwest, which for hunting about half of my stands um, is a perfect wind. Um, most of the deer movement, when it is a southwest wind, they come from the south and head north across the crop fields back into a new bedding area to the north. And I dropped him off and told him I was probably going to go check cameras for the rest of the morning um, and sat him in what I called the pond stand, which in 2011, I killed my biggest deer to date with a bow and sat up there. That's where the most deer movement is. That's where the most bucks have been cruising through, um, looking kind of looking for does just a little bit. And I went on up the road and decided it's too nice of a morning, even with the wind, that uh, I'm just going to go sit in the stand. So you kind of tricked your you tricked your brother that you wasn't going to hunt this great stand. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I <laughs> never would have thought that this buck would have came through because this buck in particular I did not have any trail cam pictures of. 
which was very interesting to me. That's happened to me three years running now. Really? But yeah, it's it's just been just crazy the way it's ended up. But I went ahead and jumped on the four wheeler and drove to drove in about a half mile from my tree stand and parked and headed in there and it was probably at this time a little after seven, so I was getting in the stand a little later than what I wanted to and climbed up in the stand, kind of got things ready and. I looked out in the field, and there were some does out in front of me out in a, a picked cornfield, and they were just kind of nosing around a little bit. And I got a text from my brother saying he, he started seeing a couple bucks come into the field and five or six doe, and I hadn't seen anything but just a couple doe in the field, and pretty soon I thought I heard something behind me, and I turned around, and there's a buck walking down the fence line hmm. about 90 yards from south to north behind me, and... He looked like he was on a mission. He was just kind of had his head down and just kept walking and kept walking. And I picked up the grunt tube and decided to give him a couple grunts. And he picked his head up and started walking towards me right away. Just on a dime, he turned around and started walking right to me. Uh, what kind of what and kind of grunt what kind of grunt tube is this? I just use a Primo. Oh, now I'm gonna have to think. Hmm. It's a Primo's call. Let me look. So he's he's walking he's walking into you. Is yeah, he kind of head he kind of headed away from you, or is he coming right at you? He's coming right right towards my tree. There's a trail that um, the deer have taken quite a bit that comes within ten yards of the tree, and so he just on a line he started coming, and so I grabbed my bow and kind of stood there and got ready, and then he stopped. He got about fifty yards away and he stopped and kind of looked around and more or less realized that there wasn't a buck that he could see around. So he turned around and walked off, and I, yeah, I was just not feeling real good at the time. I just couldn't believe it. And he jumped the fence into a neighboring property, and I let him go out of sight and waited about 10 minutes, and this was about 7, about 7.40, I believe, was the, was when that happened. And I picked up the rattling antlers and hit the rattling antlers together real quick and did a snort wheeze. And I just put everything away and sat down and started watching my, my field again, seeing if anything would come out of some cedar trees that are along the north and south side. Monty, before we and, get in, into the rest of the hunt, can you tell us what the what you were doing for a rattle? Um, I've got uh, just a pair of shed antlers um, okay. that I use for rattling antlers. Gotcha. And... I uh, just kind of bang them together a couple of times and rattle them around a little bit and nothing too severe um, because I've had some bigger bucks react to the rattling antlers. But if you go too hard, they'll realize that uh, something's not quite right. Okay. Interesting. It, it's been really interesting how they react to it. That's cool. You've had that, uh, the opportunity to have that observation. That's pretty neat. Yep. Cool. Yep. It's happened a couple of different times that you, if you rattle too much, um, it'll more or less scare the deer away. It don't seem realistic to him, I guess. Nope, nope, not at all. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's the, the loudness of it or just the sheer aggressiveness of it, but there there is a certain type of rattling that they like and a certain type that will send them the other way. Monty, you wouldn't happen to have those shed antlers with you, would you? Uh, I believe I do. Yes, I do. Uh, there with the rest of my archery equipment all right i was wondering if you would maybe just do an example of how you rattled that day okay i can i can sure try let's see if i okay. can put you on speaker here there we go all right that's about all the longer that i've ever done it interesting so i mean it wasn't that loud it wasn't that long it was just kind of nope. no not not aggressive just kind of locking horns a little bit and that's it yep mainly just to pique some interest okay that's about it awesome all right let's keep going with the hunt as uh so you you spot him you, you gave him a, a rattle and what happened next uh, then I gave him a little bit of a snort wheeze, and I put everything back in my bag, and I sat down, started watching my field, and I heard what I thought was some, some grass crunching behind me, and sure enough, I turn around, and he's already at 30 yards. He must have, uh, I didn't see him coming until he got that close. He just snuck in on me, and then <laughs> there he was, just walking right out towards the field. That's getting in tight there. Yeah, he, yeah. 
but I'm about, most of my tree stands are between 20 and 30 feet in the air. Um, wow. A lot of people don't think they need to be that high, but if you saw some of the trees that I hunt out of, that's when they get to where they're straight enough to be able to set in. Right. You, you, ever, get a no, you ever get a nosebleed up that high? Oh, no. <laughs> I haven't yet. I, I've sat in them enough that, that I'm getting used to it now. Right. Yeah. Uh, no thanks. But, uh, you know, it seems to be the... The higher you are, the the more you can get by with. Yep, yep. You can do a lot more moving. Your scent's up a little bit higher so, and not so close to the yeah. ground. And I, I like it up there. I can see a lot better from up there. What, what type of stands are you talking about as far as uh, brand? and I mean, these things going to be – when you're up that high, you get to feel a sense of security, so you don't want anything too yep. rickety. What are you using? I use big game tree stands. Um, they're just a hang-on stand. Um, nothing, nothing too special. Usually, I buy them from Menards, um, which is just a kind of a hardware store. And usually, when they go on sale, you know, either after hunting season or right before season, they'll have a big sale on tree stands, and you'll buy them for about fifty bucks a piece. Okay, gotcha. Which is pretty, pretty reasonable. And so that's that's usually that's all my tree stands, except for I've got some Rivers Edge. Um, ladder stands that, that I also hunt out of when, when my wife hunts with me during rifle season. Gotcha. I guess I, I hunt with her. I usually don't have a tag left by the time rifle season rolls around. So. Gotcha. So the, the, you, you grunted the buck. It came in and d- then disappeared into another piece of woods. You rattled a little yep. bit and it snuck up on you and he's, yep. he's in front of you 30 yards out. Yep. He, he doesn't, he's not even stopping. He's just coming in and I have enough time by the time I grab my bow and draw he's at 17 yards and he's already walked past me probably eight yards to the right of my tree and when he gets to when he gets about at that 17 yards he stands and he just stops and looks out into the field and i knew that it was either you let that arrow go or he's probably going to spook because there was not one deer in the field at the time interesting so so yeah he he stopped there and i let it go and to me, looked like looked like a perfect shot. He ran about a hundred yards and then stood there, <laughs> and did not move for the next forty-five minutes. He just stood there and stood there and stood there, and I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker by the right. minute. So, he, did he run off into the field, or did he run back into the woods? Nope, he ran back. He ran back, kind of towards where he came from. Okay, uh, but he didn't make it to the fence. He just stopped about twenty to twenty-five yards. On my side of the fence, he was feel, he was feeling the burn. Yep, yep. He literally stood there for forty five minutes, didn't move a muscle. No, he he did not move. I I got my video camera out and I videoed him for a little while yeah. and took some pictures of him with my video camera while he stood there. Interesting, it's crazy. So what what, what happened? Yeah, what I, happens after that? Um, then I sat there and watched him, and pretty soon um, there was probably a cedar tree about fifteen foot tall um, that he took about three steps and laid down right underneath that cedar tree. And I could see that the, just the top of his points, as he left his head up, I could see the top of his points as he laid there. And about five minutes after that, here come another about a four-by-four buck, probably only, uh, he's only about a two-and-a-half-year-old. He come walking in, and all of a sudden he got all postured up, put his ears back, and started fighting with this deer as he was laying on the ground. Wow. And this went on for 15 minutes. He sat really? there and fought with this deer as he was laying on the ground. It's amazing what they do. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, he must have known that he wasn't going to get up and, and fight him off because he just sat there. and It wasn't a serious fight. It was more kind of a playful fight because he was such a, a much smaller, younger deer than, than what I had shot. Right. Yeah, he was just kind of kind of goofing around. but. Yep. And he finally got uninterested, and he walked. Well, he walked right by me. He walked five yards from me, um, from my tree, and walked on by. And he disappeared and left. And so I sat there and watched the deer I shot for just a few more minutes, maybe five to ten minutes. And I texted my brother and told him I got one, but he wasn't dead yet. And so I snuck out of the tree and and went ahead and I left and walked back to the pickup and kind of regrouped a little bit and went back and tried to envision a shot in my head where a shot placement was and I knew it had to be I knew it had to be a good shot but without a video camera it's kind of hard to right. hard to remember especially when your blood's pumping that that hard oh yeah yeah but, but we left him until 12:30 we went and got some meat and came back and we walked we walked over there and he was he was laying there pretty stiff by that time already and he'd made it 
you know, there's a little bit of pool of blood, but when the shot went in, it appeared that it had it hit either a rib or maybe part of the shoulder blade and went straight down out of the bottom of his chest, so it only clipped one lung. Gotcha. And he was able to stay alive, and that's, that's why he was alive for so long. Gotcha. All right, so it wasn't, uh, it didn't pass through as you had hoped. It just it got redirected. Yep. yep, yep. Interesting. But, yeah, he, I mean, he's completely blood out inside. Right. But, yeah, he was... He was pretty stiff by the time I found him, so I'm guessing he only lived maybe another half an hour after I got out of the tree. So what what's next? You got your big buck on the ground. How do you how do you guys get him out of the woods? Um, what we did actually was it was probably oh, I'd say sixty yards off the edge of a picked cornfield. So we actually just took the pickup back there um, and backed right up to him. And my brother and I just loaded him into the back of the pickup after That's, we took a lot of pictures. Right, <laughs> right. That, 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 that sounds pretty rough, Jay. How about you? You think that sounds pretty rough? Hey, you know I don't care. It just uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's all good. It's all good in my mind. So how did yep. uh, can you describe the rack for us a little bit? We I'll, we'll have a picture on the the blog post, but could you just describe the rack? Um, it's a little bit it's more of a, a darker colored rack than what than what I'd seen up there the last couple of years. I don't know if we've got a new a new strain of racks coming in, but the points are very close together, which to me, from the, a lot of the bucks I've shot, is not real typical. Usually, there's probably three, four inches in between the points as you go around the main team. Yeah. But these are only about an inch and a half to two inches apart which he's really almost looks like he ran into a wall head first and kind of smashed his rack a little bit. But he's really got sweeping main beams, um, very, very even points from his twos, threes, and fours. They're all very close to the same length. Gotcha. It's uh, And how wide was the point-to-point? It was 16 and 3-8, I believe. And that was green scored. Um, Our local game warden, he's a... He's an official scorer, and he is going to. He was planning on doing it this week, but he got tied up with some law stuff, and so he's going to wait until next week to officially score him. Gotcha. That law stuff got in the way of scoring your deer this week. That's not good. No, no. So it'd, it'd be good for the people he was after. But. Right, right. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, tell us about the the venison that you you took off of this buck. Uh, we ended up with 80 pounds of boned out meat. Um, we have butchered our own deer ever since I can remember, which my dad has shot a deer almost every year since I even knew hunting existed or can remember. Nice. So we, he, he taught us how to bone them out, um, make sure we virtually use every piece of meat from right behind the head all the way to the, all the way to the butt. We, we cut it all off, bone out ourselves, and if we have any hamburger or anything like that, maybe we take it to our local locker and they grind it up for us. Gotcha. But, but yeah, otherwise we do as much as we possibly can ourselves. Very cool. I, li- I like hearing that. Um, Monty, do you, could you share with us, uh, the, your favorite way to, uh, cook the venison? My, the, the best way that, that I know of doing it is we, I, I'm a huge fan of the back straps and the tenderloins. It's, uh, it's very, very good. Right. I'll put a little bit of, of seasoning on them and I have a trigger grill, uh, wood pellet grill and I will throw them on there and it only takes about maybe 10 minutes and it's, it's perfectly done. Beautiful. And what kind of seasoning are you using? Um, I use a, it's a famous Dave's is what I use. Okay. Steak and burger seasoning. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. It's a favorite, famous, uh, barbecue yes. joint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Famous Dave's. Yep. Sure. Very cool. Uh, Dusty, uh, do you have any other questions for Monty? No, I don't, but man, that sure does sound tasty. <laughs> yes. It, it is very good. Um, Monty, it sounds like you have, you have a heck of a good spot there and, uh, hope it stays around for a long time for you to hunt on it and, uh, congratulations on that that big deer. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. And uh, thank thank you again for joining us on the show and sharing with us uh, the the tips and tricks. And um, if you had one thing that you could rec- recommend to a hunter uh, that would make them more successful, what would you say? I would say scent control. Okay. Scent control is is pretty key. To I, I think it's probably one of the one of the bigger the bigger things is as we move as we move forward the deer they that's what they use for for everything their sense of smell is so great that anything you can do to help deter that scent is is a given. Awesome, that's very good. 
Um, well, Monty, I'll, uh, we'll let you go, but, uh, thanks for spending the last, uh, 35, 40 minutes with us and, uh, hopefully we'll have you again on soon. Cause you're going to send in another big buck to the big buck registry. Hey, that sounds good. I, I really appreciate it. Very cool. Uh, thanks to Monty Hersmeyer for telling us what it's like to hunt Nebraska. And, uh, if you, uh, if you have any comments, questions on that show, give us a call at 724-613-2825 or shoot me an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com. Now let's, uh, let's tune in to our interview that we had with Tori Middleton McRae from Country Girl Outdoors and find out what it's like to hunt Texas with a group of gals and form, uh, basically start hunting at a, at a late age, at the age of 29. Tori, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're, we're psyched to, that you could join us, and um, you kind of caught my eye uh, when you were on our Big Buck Registry Facebook page, and um, I think you had sent in uh, a, a request for a share to share, and as we sometimes like to do, instead of just auto-sharing and uh, just pushing buttons, we like to get in a little deeper, get to know our share for shares a little better, and then uh, right. and then we'll share. We'll share a lot. Yeah. So, so Tori, tell us about who you are and where you're from. My name is Tori McRae, and I'm from San Angelo, Texas. I didn't start hunting until I was 29 years old. 29. Okay. 29. All right. That's um, cool. What took you so long? Well, I grew up fishing with my, my dad's dad, which is what who I, we call Paul Paul. When I was little, he was a huge fisherman. He was, he was an outdoor type man, but it was all boating and fishing and everything at the lake. Um, my dad worked with me with 22s and stuff like that, but really I was more of a person that fished and learned how to fish, and that was just our thing. On Every summer I'd go stay with someone. We'd stay at the lake, and there's a little camper, and we would fish the crappie house all night long. Hmm. Okay. Uh, gotcha. And then um, my hunting didn't start until I met my husband of 10 years now, and his passion and is, is, is to hunt. He had been a guide for many, many years before I had met him, and his passion was to be in the outdoors and to hunt and to guide and to help people with their passion of hunting. Gotcha. And I just, I picked it up, and I just loved it. I've I've always loved the outdoors, and now hunting is just one of those things that I truly love to do. Isn't it interesting how there's this transition where you are part of the outdoors, you enjoy the outdoors, usually, you know, starting with fishing or something like that, maybe not even to have hunted, but the minute that you're introduced to it, you've already got the outdoor thing all figured out, but the minute you're introduced to hunting itself, it, 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 I don't think I've ever heard of anybody not being hooked on it. Right. A similar right, yeah, thing. I was like, loved it. And when can I go again? When can we go again? And even if, even, even if I didn't actually shoot anything, it was what I saw in the experience that I got when I saw it. Right. It's, a, it's an addiction. It is. You got to feed it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those things that um, once you do it once, uh, you never want to stop doing it. Right. Yep. It's an awesome feeling. You just gotta, yep. You wait for the next time when you get the chance to go, and you can't. You, it's like you. It's kind of like Christmas. You watch the clock and see when it's going to get here. Right. Exactly. Watch the calendar. It's. Uh, I, I gotta step in and say it's better than Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. It's like, uh, you know, you, you think it's deer season eve. I mean, I I treat it like a holiday. Um, I can't it sleep. It is a holiday. It is a holiday. It is. In some states, yep. they take the day off. That should be wow. nationwide. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I don't know why yeah. some states do and some states don't, but you know, the schools won't will be closed for a holiday just so they they can hunt. I think that should be everywhere in the United States, not just some. Um, right. So you 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 learned how to hunt from your husband in a in a way, yeah. and he was a, a bit of an inspiration for you. Yes, he was a very big inspiration, yep. and he but. I fell in love with him more when he invited me to hunt with him and introduced me to his passion because a lot of men, they hunt and their wives don't hunt. And I felt like that was something that was important to him to be able to pull me into it and see if it's something I would want to do so we could do it together. Right. And it was just, it was awesome. And it's been awesome ever since then. Now, how long ago was that? I am. I will be 40 uh, February the 1st. And at that time, I had just turned 29. Well, happy early birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was in February. It was in February. I just, the weekend of my birthday, we went and looked at this deer lease in Junction, Texas, on our way to San Antonio. Gotcha. Now, where, after that, I mean, you've, you've been hunting for a little while, and um, 
you, there's some other stuff that developed here between your love of, of the outdoors and country girl, country girls outdoors. Obviously there's more to the story than, than just you learning how to hunt. Where did that connection come in? Well, I feel it's very important that women and children get involved in the outdoors, whether they hunt or not. Um, you don't have to be a hunter to be involved in the outdoors. But we've, but I feel that it's very important to preserve our heritage and get more women and children in the outdoors. And Country Girls came about with my daughter and I sitting um, in the vehicle, driving down the road, taking a road trip. And we had just left the NWTF 2012. Yep. And I looked at my husband and my daughter, and at the same time, Kelly and I were like, we need a women's and children's show, you know, because we watch a lot of outdoor channels mm-hmm. and we watch a lot of the different hunting shows. And you see men or you see a husband and wife team, yep. but you don't ever see a women and children's team. You know, every once in a while, you will get someone say at the end of their show, and you need to take a child to hunt. And you can continue to watch that show, and nine times out of ten, you won't see a child on that show. They 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 push you to do that but you don't see it happen. And that is where we come in. We want to be able to take women and children in the outdoors. There may be women that don't want to hunt. You can hunt with a camera. You can sit in a tree lawn. You can sit on, on the ground next to a tree, and you can hunt with a camera the same way you can hunt with a gun. Right. And it's just getting that excitement and that adrenaline rush of being in, in with nature and being one with them, watching how they come up, watching how they interact with each other, watching how they live in their habitat and what they do. But we we teach our children, because that's all we eat. We don't buy your beef and stuff from the store. We we hunt, and we cook the food that we hunt. And I te- we, we do all of our own processing. We do the whole package. Gotcha. And that's how our children have been raised. So you so you're kind of off the grid. You don't you don't go to the supermarket to get any of the meat that you eat. Did, did, did I hear the that right? The only thing I buy there, yeah, the only thing I buy there is chicken. I will not. I, we don't buy beef from the store. Okay. Every once in a while, every boy and we decide we want to make hamburgers. And I have tried to make hamburgers with wild game, and it just doesn't work. There's not any fat to hold it together. You can't make patties. It just doesn't 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 work. Right. But other than hamburgers, we don't buy meat. We have we have elk and whitetail and buffalo in our freezer. That's awesome. So uh, the buffalo and the elk, where do they come from? Do you actually go hunting for them, or is that just yes. something you buy? Yes, those come. Well, the first year we got the first year we got an elk and a buffalo. We actually lived in Colorado, and my son and my husband went on a buffalo hunt, and they both shot a thousand pound buffalo apiece. Wow! And that same and then that same season, hunting season, my husband went and shot an elk with what who's now nine with our four year old at the time. She went with him and shot an elk. Wow. And so at the same time we're packaging up elk and buffalo and it took these it took three killers each of each animal. Usually with a white tail, you know, you're gonna have two white tail and a killer. Well we had three killers full of meat from the buffalo and three killers full of meat from the from the elk and we do all of our own processing we don't take it to anybody that's amazing because considering that the the animals that you're talking about is some of the most delectable meat on the planet yes buffalo is known to be the most is the most is the best meat for you it's the number one on the top of the list yeah i think you, uh, go ahead dusty you got room for one more that's eating that's eating high on the hog i'm in yeah yeah I, 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 it's good too it really is good everything I, that you would cook with with beef i put elk or buffalo or whitetail in it oh wow i like venison whitetail venison i think that's that's good and delicious um but i have to say that the buffalo meat and the elk meat i think is just a little bit better than regular whitetail yes. venison it's a little it's rich yes the meat is rich yes and i would throw beef to the curb any day um okay. in exchange for elk or well, buffalo and i can know if i if i like go to the store and i buy stuff to make hamburgers with and i have extra meat left over and i just want to get rid of it and i throw it into a lasagna they know it's not what they know it's not wild game. They know it's from the store and it has fat in it, and they can tell the difference. And they'll say, "Mom, this is not the same. This is not uh, what you normally cook." Right. They can uh, taste different. I think that's when you know you're raising your kids right. Yes, I think so. <laughs> so that's that's how they've been raised, and they will continue to raise them that way. And the girls aren't getting near as many hormones in their system. Right. We're not feeding them from the stuff from the store. Well, they may never be professional baseball players if that's the case. Right. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, so you must be you're you're cooking all this wild game. We're Dusty and I've been on a little bit of a uh, wild game recipe kick lately. 
Um, okay. Can you share with us some of the dishes that you like to make with the, with that meat? I make green enchiladas with buffalo, whitetail, and elk. I make, like tonight, I make lasagna with buffalo meat. I um, make chili with all three of them. Anything that you would make beef with, I I use wild game with. Okay. In every in, in every everything. Any dish that where you'd have beef, you'd replace the beef with some kind of elk or <laughs> buffalo. Meat. Right, buffalo. Yep. What What's your favorite dish to make? What What's got the the whole family loves? The lasagna. Man, that sounds good. Yeah. I, I am a I do love lasagna. I have to say, one of my favorite dishes of all time. Huge comfort comfort food. You know, that's just it doesn't get any it better is. than com- if you want something comforting. That's it. Um, that is. All right, so it's you've right got up there with right there with me at chicken and dumplings. But like I said, I don't buy a whole lot of chicken from the store. Right, and that's kind of what I had for dinner tonight was chicken chicken and dumplings. Um, all right, so tell me a little bit about why you think that the this industry, specifically on TV, I, I don't know if this is necessarily true for the 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 real world, but it could be it could be a representation. Why is it on TV? You see mostly men, and you see very few children and very few women. I feel it because it's always been known as a man sport and women were never brought into the picture until now. Um, a couple of years ago, you could watch a hunting show and you'd never see a woman on, on a hunting show. And then a couple of years later, they started doing couple hunts and that went on with the current, they know that went wild because then they had getting women involved, but it was the husband and the wife. Um, I feel it's important to bring the women and the children in to the, because this is, you know, in this day and age, if there's a mom in the house and they've got children and the children want to do what daddy's doing and mama doesn't go, some of the children may do, may decide to, to venture off and do what mom wants to do. If mom is involved and does the outdoors and gets involved in the outdoors, more of her children will be involved in the outdoors. I completely and agree. the whole family together. Right. Do you um, do you look up to any individual that's in the industry right now that's a, that's a woman? Is there somebody that is your idol? I like Jana Waller real well. Okay, she um, inspires me, and Pat and Nicole Reeves. Okay, now is Country Girls Outdoors its own television show? That's what we are pushing it to go towards. Okay, that that's where you want to go. Yes, that is our goal, and we want to be able to introduce the outdoors to women and children that have never had the opportunity to go out and go hunting, go out and do the whole adventure and get the whole adrenaline of sitting and watching a deer come up and being 15 yards from it and this and that. And, it, and, and it's not about getting the kill and it's not about the shot. It's just about being that close and that personal with that animal right? and getting that whole feeling of what it's like to sit and they'll not even know you're there. That's a very special time is when you can sit there and watch wildlife pass. And it's just you're like, you know what? I wouldn't trade this for the world. And I'm the only one, the only one here. It's great. And, yep. you know, I find myself telling people I love hunting, but I love to go and sit. And that's my getaway. That's the time where you, you can leave all your problems and all your all your mishaps and everything that's happened gone on that day or maybe that month. Leave it at home. Get outside. Get in the outdoors. And it's all like gone it's not with you at that moment you're just in nature and god's creation of everything around you and everything else is just is just not there with you you're in the moment of being in the in the outdoors and it's just very peaceful it's a relaxing de-stressing time for me right i do it for peace of mind mostly i mean that's really what it what i do it for um uh Speaking of the outdoors, Tori, will you take us through a hunt? I'm going to have Dusty kind of take it from here and uh, walk us through one of your favorite hunts of all time. Yeah, yeah we uh, talked briefly. It's going to be a turkey hunt. That's correct? It is. It was in so, Nebraska. Yeah. Tell us about this turkey hunt, who you're with, and kind of terrain. Just give us a rundown of uh, the whole day. Okay. It sounds like well, a real unique, real unique experience, and we'd like to hear it. It is. I will tell you, turkey hunting is not easy, and I found out that I found that out with my daughter. We went to Nebraska to go hunting with Nebraska. Um, the Roost is what Jim Coon owns the Roost, and we went up there, and it was just going to be my daughter hunting, and she was she was working on her grand slam, and she wanted to get a Miriam. Called Jim up, and he said, "Well, I got ladies and camo coming up, so I got in touch with ladies and camo. We made it a we made it a hunt, and we got there and." 
that is a hard hunt. It was spot and stalking. It was crawling 50 yards on your belly, holding your gun up in the mud. I mean, it was a extremely hard hunt. And my daughter Sounds did pretty it intense. like it was easy. I mean, she made it look easy. So we were there. We got there on Thursday. We started hunting on a Friday morning. And she got her bird Friday evening. No, yes, Friday evening. And so we were there one day, and she was done with her hunt. And Jim said, well, who else is hunting? And all the ladies in camo were there, and some of the ladies had gotten their birds and the other ones hadn't. And my husband said, well, we were just planning on coyote hunting, but my wife has never shot a turkey before. So Jim was like, well, we need to get you a turkey. And I was set up with the guide that guided Kylie. His name was Dustin. His nickname is Dirt. Very, very nice gentleman. And he got the job done, but it was a hard hunt. I mean, we spent, I didn't get mine in one day. I didn't get mine until Saturday, Saturday afternoon. And it was a, we started out Friday night, didn't get it Friday night. And Saturday morning, got up, ate breakfast, went out. It was just a very, it was very, um, not stressful because hunting to me is not stressful, but it was so intense. Because it was, I've never really crawled that far holding a gun up with my forearm, so it wouldn't, so it wouldn't um, get mud in the sock and on the, all over it. And right, so you yeah, you, are, you you guys earned these turkeys. Do what? You earned these turkeys. Right. Oh yes, it was a definite earn. Right. Those when, when were they, very sweet. I mean, and the, and the birds were there. I mean, there were so many of them. It was just getting the getting the one that you know getting the one that I needed and being able to get close to it. And mind you, we filmed this whole thing. So not only was it a, an intense hunt, but we were filming. My husband filmed our hunt. Right. And he was carrying all the camera and the equipment, and it was just, it was very intense. So anytime someone says they went turkey hunting and spot and stalk, it, it is a tough hunt, but it is well worth it. And it, it, I gained so much from that hunt, and I respect tur- people that go out and t- that do turkey hunts because it's not, you don't go and sit and they come up and you shoot them. you got to go find them, and then you've got to spot them, and then you got to stalk that to them, and I mean, very right. Intense. Was you able it to was do awesome. it? Was and we turned to... it into a mother-daughter hunt. We went That's... there getting Kalia hunt, got getting Kalia turkey, Miriam, and we ended up with two Miriam. And so That's we awesome. turned the the Kylie hunt into a mother-daughter, a mother-daughter. And we have not, we've never at that up to that point, we have never actually hunted together. Um, so that made it even more, to me, more important that we were able to do it together. And I got so much more out of that hunt because we did it together. All right, that's very cool. Yeah, was, it was it was awesome. Was you, was you yeah. able to was you able to do any calling at all? Was it all spot and stock? No, my um, dirt taught my was teaching my daughter working with her because we had already had some of the the slate calls and stuff, and she'd been working on those. When we went to NWTF, everybody had their own slate calls, and she was sitting with the guys at NWTF learning how to do the slate calls. And dirt does, is an awesome caller, and he has all these different mouthpieces he uses. He has all these different slate calls he uses. He has different box calls he uses, and he worked with her and taught her how to do her slate call better, and they actually called called up Turkey. It was very awesome. Yeah, he, would, he would call a little bit, and then she would do it, and then he would do it, and she would do it, and we're just sitting out there, and no turkeys in sight, and then all of a sudden you see these turkeys come in. That's cool. Yeah, you know, it that, was it was really cool. Yeah, that, that, that helps out. Experience. Yeah, it's a great experience, too, when you have somebody that really knows what they're doing can kind of give you a few uh, pointers and tips to bring the birds in. Yes, and that's what she likes to do. And now, you know, on, on all of her different turkey hunts that she went on last year, on the way to the hunt, she would practice doing her slate call in the, in the truck. I have pictures on on our Facebook and website showing her working on right. turkey calls. Yeah, that's awesome. Jay, what else do you have? Hey, Tori, can you take us through your pro staff? I'm on your website right now at countrygirlsoutdoors.com. And uh, I was wondering if you could just tell us who some of these people on your site are. Um, I okay. see I see you there. Um, who is uh, Kylie? Kylie McRae. That's my nine-year-old daughter. Okay. And how is she as far as hunting? What, what what are her passions? Oh, she loves to hunt. She's been hunting since she was three years old. She got a little cricket. Um, her first gun was a cricket, 22. Awesome. She looks like she a got some curls, and I bet she's a firecracker. She is. Very nice. All right. And she, um, about- her first. Go her ahead. first turkey was shot at five, and her first buck was she shot at six. That's awesome. A buck at six. Boy, it's fantastic. How about uh, Chelsea Johnson? Chelsea Johnson. That is a friend of ours out of, out of McAllen, Texas. 
her dad is in the Border Patrol, which my husband used to be in the Border Patrol, and they grew up together. And him and Mike Johnson have, Eric, my husband, and Mike Johnson have grew up together and hunting together. And when Mike um, started a family, and we, his kids are a little bit older than ours are, but he, he has also brought his family into the outdoor, and his daughter loves to hunt. And so she comes up with us every Christmas in Texas. Uh, I should say down with us every Christmas in Texas. Gotcha. And comes hunting with us. Cool. All right. How about Tiffany Brown? She's on, she's behind a nice big buck here. I don't know what the story is behind that, but who is Tiffany Brown? She is a fabulous lady from Florida. And her story with us is her husband and her, her got they got married and on their wet on their um honeymoon they came to Texas hunting and my husband was her was their guide and he got her that buck. That's actually and the the deer the gun that you see laying there across the buck, that's my husband's three hundred Gotcha. All right. And how about Kenna Ballman? Kenna Ballman. She is family. Her her dad and Eric, which is my husband, are, are um, related. Eric, Kenny McRae is Eric, is my husband's um, uncle. And Kenny and Eric um, had McRae Outdoors outfitting business together. Okay. Gotcha. And Kenna is, Kenna is Kenny's daughter. Got She's it. She's been hunting since she was a baby. Kenna's named after Kenny. Yes. Awesome. All right. And let's see, Megan Manship. Megan is from San Angelo. Well, Megan lives in San Angelo, Texas, and okay. she has um, been hunting for a, for a little while. Her, when she was younger, her thing was fishing with her grandpa. And as she got older, she got introduced to hunting. And she is married to a guy that to a guide that works for McCray Outdoors. Gotcha. Okay. When we go to check this week. All right. McCray Outdoors. And how about Caitlin and uh, Taryn? Caitlin is my four-year-old that will be five on the tw- uh, five Saturday. And Taryn is my six-year-old that will be seven in February. Excellent. And Taryn, Taryn and Caitlin shoot a crossbow. Very cool. All right. So you got the family there between Kylie, Caitlin, and Taryn and Tori. So, and uh, you're all wear, you're all sporting the uh, the the pink t-shirts there. And how about Heather Leninger? Heather Leninger. She is um, new to our pro, to our team. She is the one that we went hunting with when we went hunting last year with Ladies in Camo. She she was on the Ladies in Camo team, and she is now joined with us with Country Girls Outdoors. Gotcha. So that's the staff. That's your pro staff that you've got signed up right now. I have a son. Okay. Um, you, you would probably see him on the Family Traditions page on our website, and his yep. name is Lane, and he is also a cameraman. My husband and my son are our cameramen. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, so t- tell us where people listening to the show can find you. Where they can find me. I live right at this moment in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. And as far as like online, how do they get a hold of you? They can get me through. They can leave. Um, we have contact information on our website. You can contact us through um, countrygirlsoutdoors.com and send us an email. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Facebook page, Country Girls Outdoors Facebook. They can Facebook facebook us and our contact phone numbers on there if they want to give us a call very cool and how about your facebook page yes our contact information is on our facebook page as well and you can they're linked together so you can go from one to the other and back and forth very cool uh tori this has been great thank you for uh, going a little deeper and uh telling us about country girls outdoors and and letting us know my pleasure what's going on out there and uh we'll uh we'll we'll have you on the show obviously we'll post it on our facebook page where the, sh- where the show comes out we'll do a share for share and uh let the world know who you are well thank you very much and i appreciate y'all's time and getting that, getting us out there because to me it's very important that women and children are involved in the outdoors no matter what you do yeah dusty and i could not agree more yeah thanks for joining us well you're very welcome and thank y'all both all right take care tori very nice to meet you take care yep, bye-bye All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to Dusty, he's over at uh, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. If you'd like to reach us at the Big Buck Registry, you can find us in multiple locations. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash big buck registry. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. You can find us on our website, which is www.bigbuckregistry.com. You can always give us a call at 724-613-2825 and give us some feedback about the show, whether you liked it or didn't like it or what you liked about other shows or didn't like about other shows. That would be very useful for us so we can bring you better content um, 
and we, we love feedback anyway. Uh, you could also call that number or text that number. If you shot a big buck and you want to tell that uh, elated story right then and there, that'd, that'd be great. Obviously, you shouldn't be doing that this time of year. Um, but you could call that um, at any point and share a story if you don't want to set up an appointment with us to tell a, tell your story on the podcast. Um, but you can also text a picture to that phone number as well. Uh, and that's, again, 724-613-2825. You can also send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com uh, with your pictures. And you can always share on Facebook, either direct message or private message, right on our Facebook page. So that's a wrap. And we'll see you next week right here on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Can't wait.